Welcome Bears fans to another edition of Bears Scat. I'm Thomas. I'm Jim. And this today is the new car smell scat. <laughs> uh, the reason I went with that is because everything seems like a bright shiny new car today. Um, and uh, I think um, we all are pretty excited just like when you get into the front seat of a brand new car. And we're uh, two jamokes uh, who talk about the Bears so you don't have to. Uh, what you got for us today? Um, so, Matt Eberflus, is, is, is that really a bright, shiny new car? <laughs> it, it kind of feels like more of a beat-up, off-roading, you know, just manly truck that's going to come in here. And... It's, it's like a 2015 uh, Ford Ford 150. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough hire to really honestly feel that strongly about one way or the other. Right. Um, it's a guy that's never been a head coach before. He's a 51-year-old defensive coordinator. Uh, we'll, we'll get to all of it. There's There's been a lot of really positive things that have been said about him. Uh, you know, defensive background, I think that's something that is concerning a lot of people. I have a couple other concerns with it as well, but... What I think can be said here is that Ryan Poles got his guy. I mean, absolutely. If you believe the reporting that every that that's been out there, once he was hired, he basically took over the entire process, interviewed his finalists individually, so without Bill Polian or Ted Phillips or anybody else. And you know, I I think that if he had wanted Brian Dayball or Kellen Moore or any other head coach, I think that would be the coach of the Bears right now. So I think so too. Whatever, whatever we can say about Matt Eberflus, you know, nobody knows whether or not it's going to be good or not. But Ryan Poles obviously wanted him, and I'm looking forward to hearing why that was. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I really am excited about Ryan Poles. Yeah. I, um, a couple of little things that he did. Yes, they're not a big deal, but I just really liked the vibe of them. Was I don't know whose idea it was to put the camera on him on day one when he showed up at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> at Alice Hall uh, on a super cold morning too. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't even care if it was you know planned out that way. It was cool to me. Um, and then the other thing that polls did uh, that same day was. He went on Instagram and uh, or tw- uh, went on Twitter and said, "Hey, uh, you know, great to meet you, Bears fans. Uh, I'm excited to be here." Uh, he he even had a little thing on there where once he got to five thousand followers, he was going to give out a jersey. <laughs> so I, again, right, just a little thing, yeah. But just his attitude, you know. Um, I've seen a you know. The little video that he put out there on Ryan Poles, the new general manager of the Bears. All of it is the exact opposite <laughs> of Ryan Pace. That's what right? I was just about to say. The exact opposite. And that makes me love it all the more. And and just the point about him demanding that he be given autonomy to hire his coach... That does not sound like anything we heard about Ryan Pace, right? (laughs) Like, Ryan Pace would have been collaborating and getting everybody's opinion and blah, 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 you know? And I I think collaboration is is good when your front office is set up the right way, which I don't think Ryan Pace's ever was. But the fact that Poles said, uh, if you're going to hire me, then I want this coaching hire to be mine, 
that says a lot. It says that he's put his name on it. And, you know, we're recording this podcast on Saturday. Both Poles and Eberflus are going to meet the media on Monday morning. So we're going to learn more about both. It'll be the first time we've heard from either of them since right. they've been hired. Um, I, I'm interested to know what it is about Matt Eberflus that has Ryan Poles believing that he was the guy out of anybody that should be the Bears head coach. Because I think Eberflus uh, was pretty much the first coach off the board, right? I mean, uh, Hackett went to Denver at right around the same time. I think Hackett might have been a day or two before. Um, and Dayball just got hired by the Giants as well. Right. But And Dayball, um, it was surprising to me that people were still talking about Dayball because... As soon as the GM got hired in New York, everybody knew that Dayball was going there. But I think that if Poles had wanted him, maybe you could have gotten that process started earlier and you could have made him an offer before the Giants did. So, so, um, real quick, you and I talked about this a bit, and I I wanted to go back on it. Um, I do think that... When George McCaskey went and got Poles, Poles had already an idea of the guys that were going to be there, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't know whether they brought those three particular guys in specifically because Poles was going to be hired that day. Um, But he, I, I believe that when he was going through the interview process, McCaskey said, Okay, so these are the guys that we're, we've looked at. You know, do any of these guys grab your eye? Do you um, have a relationship or or a thought process when it comes to either, any of those guys? Any boss would do that, yeah. right? I mean, that's not that's to me that's not intruding on uh, on Paul's domain at all. That's just saying these are some of the guys that we've already gone and interviewed. And, you know, if you're going to be in charge, these are some that we think are pretty good picks. And also the guys that he, uh, that were already there that day, those guys weren't, uh, weren't suddenly drawn out of a hat. <laughs> their, na- their names have been out there this year and previous years for head coaching positions. Yeah, I mean, the Bears certainly haven't earned the benefit of the doubt, right? Because they've screwed up so many hiring processes in the past. But it's it's not a coincidence that the the three finalists that were picked out by McCaskey and Polian were the same three finalists yeah. that Ryan Poles wanted to interview. I mean, there's all sorts of backroom conversations that happen. A lot of these guys have the same agent or the same group of representatives, right? So they all know each other. They've all been talking behind the scenes. Yeah, Ryan Poles had an idea of who he was interested in hiring. And those were the people that got the second interviews, right? There were three right. three finalists: Dan Quinn, Matt Eberflus, and uh, Jim Caldwell, right? So, and I've and I've read that George McCaskey wanted Caldwell, mm-hmm. and um, Polian wanted Quinn. Yeah, and so you know, Poles was like, "Well, that's all well and good, but this is who I want." Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think that you would draw it up if you're McCaskey or Polian that. 36-year-old Ryan Poles would be paired with a first-time head coach, right? So that gives me confidence that this was Ryan Poles' pick. So, you know, everything I've heard about Matt Eberflus is that he's a great communicator. He's a great leader. He gets his guys to play hard. Everybody has really, really glowing things to say about him as a defensive coordinator. 
we'll see if that translate uh, translates to his new role as a head coach because it's his first time doing it. And as with anything, when it's your first time, you know, being a head coach in the NFL, there's all sorts of challenges that you've never had to deal with, right? Yeah. Like you've never had to manage a game, you've never had to coordinate multiple Nagy, phases. Nagy still can't. No, uh, there's a <laughs> lot of guys that can't. I mean. <laughs> Dan Quinn, right? I mean, Man, I just had to jab yeah. the knife in a little bit further. Dan Quinn, I mean, that was a guy I was interested in because I, I think he's a pretty good coach. But, and he had some experience. And, yeah, but if you think about his time in Atlanta, he was one of the worst game managers I've ever seen. Like, yeah, it was terrible. Everybody knows the Super Bowl collapse, right? But there were plenty of other instances of that team just blowing late leads in games in part due to how he managed the clock or the situation or the play calling, you know, in certain scenarios, right? So... A lot of guys do struggle with it. Matt Eberflus, we'll, we'll see whether or not he's skilled enough. I mean, it doesn't feel like it should be that hard, but obviously it is if, if so many coaches constantly get the game-managing aspect yeah. of the job wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough job. It's a high-difficulty job. Not to mention that the stress levels must be off the off the scale. Yeah, it's not playing um, Madden. But, um, <laughs> right. Uh, but um, I, I do. I, I, I'm... I'm feeling good about the Eberflus pick, mostly because of Ryan Poles. Right now, Ryan Poles is pretty golden uh, in my vision. Uh, I'm certainly wearing my uh, my specially made orange tinted glasses when I'm looking at him, and he's got a glowing aura around him. So uh, there's very few things that he could do right now that I would look at uh, uh, poorly. But uh, what will happen is is seeing. Uh, where the rubber meets the road as far as how does Eberflus pick his uh, his assistants. Uh, the, of course, what we're all waiting to see is what he does on the offensive side of the ball because Eberflus was a linebacker. He taught linebackers in college. Uh, he taught linebackers when he was in the NFL. His defense primarily in his last job at Indy was linebacker focused. So um, we know he's got that position like covered. Uh, But uh, one of the things that you need to have in this NFL and have strength in is defensive back. And playing defensive back is not like playing linebacker. So uh, that, you know, there's to me right there is immediate question. How does that change drastically from what it was in 2021? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have two big concerns with this, and I think you, you just hit on both of them. The first concern is, is the most obvious one, right? And that's offensive coordinator, because what's the most important position in football? Number one. Quarterback, right? So you have a young quarterback here that you've pretty much already wasted a year one. Matt Nagy, you know, I, I don't know what he was able to teach Justin Fields. Hopefully nothing. So you're basically <laughs> you're basically starting from ground zero there, right? And the concern that everybody has is when you hire an offensive coordinator, if that if if that uh, coach has success in year one, does he get hired right away? And then there's turnover there, right? So playing that out, like obviously that would be good, right? Because if the Bears hire Luke Getze, who's the Packers uh, quarterback coach that's been linked to the job, and Getze comes in here and then gets hired a year later, that means that Justin Fields took the next step and that the Bears offense played really well. Yes. Right? So 
And that, I, I truly fear this. Yeah, yeah, and so, I mean, but in order for him to get hired, the offense has to have shown improvements, and hopefully Justin Fields then has shown what's, what he's capable of. And then, you know, you kind of have to trust the process from that point, right? Like, if whoever you hire as offensive coordinator leaves after year one, hopefully then you have a quarterback coach that you can promote to run that same style. Or you've got another coach around the league that is familiar running whatever offense Justin Fields shows is he, he's best suited for, right? So right. It, it is certainly a fear, right? But it's it's not necessarily the worst thing if you get an offensive coordinator in here he does really well and then leaves like the worst scenario is you get an offensive coordinator in here and the (laughs) offense still sucks right like so so let's not put the cart before the horse i mean the (laughs) let's really hope that doesn't happen like the the model is buffalo and what happened there right like they hire sean mcdermott who's got a defensive background and he goes to buffalo a franchise that had kind of been sputtering and he instills a culture and they're really tough and they play really hard and then they draft Josh Allen and they develop him and he turns into... Who does crappy his first season. had a bad first year and obviously now is one of the best quarterbacks in the game and Allen's going to lose his offensive coordinator. Brian Dayball just got hired as the head coach of the Giants, but he's so established now that the hope is the next coach that comes in can kind of just continue running with that style. now let's uh, let's pause on that for a second because one thing is, and this was one of those things that was buzzing around the whole uh, about the comparing Dayball to Nagy thing, and we pointed that out. But um, you know, Dayball's resume is truly a, a great resume. I mean, if he was going into the corporate world and he had a list of uh, you know top one hundred companies or top fifty companies uh, on his resume that you know, kind of ratioed out, he'd be a, a top hire there as well. But um, what I do, if, if we do get uh, this, you know, the passing game coordinator from, from Green Bay, um, I just as a hunch, I have a feeling we'd have him for at least two seasons. Yeah. Simply because the guy, if he's going to come in and take a major position like that, it's hard for me to believe that he would want to come in learn the ropes as an offensive coordinator and everything that that entails, especially working under a defensive head coach, and then immediately turn around and become a head coach in another position. That's a lot for anybody to swallow, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think that part would be fine. Um, you know, there's the, the talk about him and Pep Hamilton being uh, paired as, you know, bringing in Pep Hamilton because he, he has shown he can work with quarterbacks. Um, and we certainly need uh, a mentor uh, for for young fields, um, and you know that would be that would be good as well because Hamilton probably would be kind of the same, right? Would come in now if actually if if I'm looking at who might leave one or the other, I I would say it would be heavier towards Hamilton leaving just because he's been in the league for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we're talking about this, but we're not even talking about the other, uh, the other um, uh, candidate there. And that's Caldwell, right? Yeah. So there's, you know, Jim Caldwell has been uh, linked to that spot quite a bit. Now, the one thing that is very cool about that, right, is he brings in a wealth of knowledge and, the chances of him leaving after one season to become a head coach 
I don't think are very good. I think if he's going to get a head coaching position, it would be now. Yeah. And uh, now, that at the same time, does he also want to come into an organization that just told him no? Right. You know, um, it, you know. Again, if you just look at the regular corporate world, if you were, uh, you know, petitioning to be CEO of IBM and they said, "Well, no, we're going to make you a vice president," you, know, you might not want to go work for IBM. Yeah. But, um, but regardless of how they proceed with it. They have to keep that at the forefront because what happened to Flores is, I think, is certainly led to his demise. To to look at what he had to go through with three different offensive coordinators in three seasons, that is the new NFL. Don't ignore it. Don't say that that was the fluke because not, it's not. That's the norm. People, uh, it, management is now looking at offense the way they looked at defense for decades yeah and and it's not gonna it, that's gonna grow not not recede yeah i mean offense is the more important side of the ball in today's nfl as much as you know old school football fans don't want to admit it defense doesn't win you championships in this league anymore it's tough right. to win a, a championship if your defense sucks but you don't need yeah you don't need to be ridiculous yeah about it. but you don't need the monsters of the midway there i mean you need a defense that can... You don't need the, the 85 Bears. You don't need the 2,000 Ravens. No, I mean, you need a defense that can not give up 40 points, that can get after the quarterback a little bit, and that can get a turnover or two, right? You don't need to shut the other team out. The expectation is, if you look at the teams, particularly in the AFC right now, the expectation is that you're scoring 30 points a game. Right. If you're an elite team, right? So, um... Well, and you know... Uh, Look at the look at the Kansas City Buffalo game. Yeah. You know that that was you know two weeks ago or yeah. a week ago. I mean, um, it, it, that right there is perfect example. You some people say we just watched the Super Bowl yeah. with that game, right? I, you know, I don't know whether that's the case or not, but you certainly saw two of the strongest teams in the NFL in that game. Yeah, Tampa and uh, L.A. Same thing, right? I mean, high scoring games. I mean. I know the 49ers don't fit that model. We'll see how they do this week. I think they'll score more points than they did when they were playing up in Green Bay just because the weather was so bad. But you need to be able to score. And one nice thing about hiring a defensive coach is that being the offensive coordinator now for the Bears will be seen as a promotion over some other jobs. Like if we if we use uh, Luke Getze as an example, so he could get promoted to be the offensive coordinator in Green Bay or he could come to Chicago and be the offensive coordinator. The difference is that in Green Bay, he is the offensive coordinator in title, but Matt LaFleur, the head coach, is running the offense right. and calling the plays. If he comes here, he's the head coach of the offense. So that, theoretically, is a better experience if you're hoping to be a head coach someday. It's a, yeah, it's a, very, it's a big step as far as is not just uh, right now, but foregoing... Uh, for his chances at being a head coach. Absolutely. So that would be, you know, some might say, well, why would you make a lateral move from Green Bay to Chicago? That's the reason, because in Green Bay, he is kind of running Matt LaFleur's offense. Here, yeah. he is coming up with the offense, calling the plays, and overseeing execution, right? So so that's good. The problem is, as we've talked about then, that becomes his stepping stone to be a head coach. The hope would be that, he comes here, does really well. The offense, you know, 
performs well, Justin Fields becomes that star quarterback. And then when he does eventually leave, whether it's after one year or two, that, you know, A, Justin Fields then kind of is the offense and you hire a coach to run that offense. Or B, just that, you know, there's a, a coach under Getze here that then you promote and that runs that same offense. So we'll see what happens. I mean, having a defensive and maybe coach. That is your maybe that is your Getze uh, Hamilton. Yeah, maybe. I mean... Pep Hamilton, a lot of people think, is a really good coach. I mean, he was Justin Herbert's coach his rookie year. He was the Texans' coach last year. And before people reflexively say, "Oh, why would we ever hire anybody from the Texans?" look look <laughs> at look at how Davis Mills improved last year. Like that's he, incredible. Like Davis Mills was arguably the most successful rookie quarterback last year, and he wasn't yes. a first round pick, and he was playing with a terrible uh, offensive support system for a terrible team. And he improved dramatically as the dramatically. season went on, and Pat Hamilton was I his mean, coach. Especially when you think about the uh, what he had to work with versus what Mac Jones' situation was. I mean, that's night and day. It, it, Mac Jones went to the perfect situation for his skill set. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I really think that he did. I don't think he could have ended up in a better spot than he did. But, yeah, Davis Mills was called upon... I'm certain that when he went there, there was they were not talking to him like, "Hey, uh, you know, you should make sure and be ready to go in case we need to start you." Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that conversation didn't happen. Well, you know? well, and and so it is encouraging to hear some of the names that are being linked to the Bears' job. So we've talked about Getzy, we've talked about Pep Hamilton. Uh, there's rumors that. For special teams, they, they're looking at bringing in Rich Passaccia, who was just the interim coach for the Raiders that took them to the playoffs and it sounds like isn't going to be retained. So a big part of being a successful head coach is bringing in really good assistants. Yeah. And that sounds obvious, but sometimes what happens is... Just like recruiting players when you're a head coach in college. Yeah, it's like sometimes what happens with first-time head coaches is they're reluctant to bring in coaches that either have been head coaches in the past or are uh, on that career trajectory, right? Just because the fear is, well, if one of those guys does really well, could I potentially lose my job in favor of them? So the fact that it doesn't immediately sound like that's going to be a concern with Eberflus is good. That sounds like he's comfortable and confident in himself. And, you know, you want to bring in the best assistant coaches, right? I mean, you yeah. don't you don't want to have Mike Martz coaching your, <laughs> coaching your offense. <laughs> So I think obviously like the offensive side of the ball, that's the most obvious concern. I have, I mean, my other big concern with Eberflus is just learning a bit about him. It sounds like his defensive philosophy is really predicated on playing really hard and hustling and being intense. And that's all really great as a defensive coordinator, but you've got to bring more to the table if you're the head coach, right? Like in the NFL you on, know, on, the, on that level. Yeah. Like, Playing really hard, like that's like the Dan Campbell BS in Detroit, right? Like that can win you five games when maybe you should win two. Yeah, but you're not beating Pat Mahomes because you're trying harder than him. Like that's not, that's not how it works in the NFL. Like really good teams are gonna try hard. That's a yeah. prerequisite. Yeah. So you hope that there's more. Not to mention the players have some pretty good incentive themselves. Yeah, and they're 
inherently incredibly competitive people to get to that point. Absolutely. It's pretty rare that you see a a NFL team that's just out there going through the motions. It does happen when you got like a, a messed up situation like Urban Meyer or something. But for the most part, guys are professionals. They're proud professionals. They're going to go out there and bust their ass. So we'll see. I mean, you hope that there's more vision behind Matt Eberflus. You hope that he's got a plan, that he's going to, you know, install a culture here that is conducive to being one of those sustainably successful teams. I mean, we'll see. I mean, everything about him is is really positive that I've heard. So it's, it's, it's hard to have a hot take on it. Um, but for now, I mean, everything I'm hearing is good. So we're going to, we're going to see how it plays out. Yeah. And you know, I, um, I, I'm certainly, uh, interested, uh, as I was saying, he was uh, at the top of the list for several teams, uh, as far as just in general. Um, I, I looked at his resume. I like what I see as far as a defensive coordinator, uh, his transition to head coach is a big one. Um, and I'm hoping that he is a, a great team lead because that's really what he has to do. He has to be the leader of the team. Uh, and we have had too many guys on, uh, at, at the head chair for Chicago who tried to be uh, multiple spots. Um, Lovey was that way with with the defense, and Nagy was that way with the offense. It's I, I just want to say to those guys, you're missing the big picture. You're supposed to be in charge of the overall, and then you're supposed to give autonomy uh, or empowerment to your offense and defense guys to let them do their jobs. They're supposed to be competent on their own. And if you're not, if you're putting guys in those positions and you feel like you still need to step in there, there's a problem there to me. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that John Fox was always really well known for was hiring really good assistants. I mean, in his first year here that, uh, offensive coordinator was Adam Gase. The defensive coordinator was Vic Fangio. Both went on to become head coaches. I mean, Adam Gase was a terrible head coach, but he did get <laughs> two jobs, right? So, like you said, my hope is that this this hire is the CFO of or the CEO of the team, right? Right. Like, the guy that's running everything. Now, you certainly have input in the defense and the offense, but. I don't necessarily need another round of a head coach calling plays on one side of the ball. Absolutely. Like, you know, you know. just real quick, what it made me suddenly think of was Buddy Ryan and Mike Dickens' yeah. relationship, right? Because Buddy Ryan was like, eat shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing this. Yeah. This is mine. Yeah. And it wasn't, to me, it wasn't an ego thing. It was a stay out of my house thing. Yeah. This is my house. You gave me the house. Now let me run it the way I want, right? Yeah. And Dicka was, in my opinion, he was really good at being the overlord, right? The Ubermeister, the the head dude, right? He was nobody questioned who was the head coach there. It was Dicka, and he's still famous for it, right? Mm-hmm. It's certainly beloved by Chicagoans, but respected, still respected as a head coach in the league, right? Yeah. And that he he did he he ran that team 
but he let his guys run their houses. And that's that's what we got to see. That's yeah. what we got to see. What's, what's going to be interesting with Eberflus is his defensive system is built on the same base concepts as Lovey Smith's was. So, like, one of Eberflus's big yeah. mentors in his career was Rod Marinelli, oh, well, who, was, yeah. who was the defensive coordinator here. Mm-hmm. So, if Oakland ends up hiring a new coach, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked to see Rod Marinelli as the Bears' defensive coordinator for a second time, which I think is a good hire. Isn't Marinelli, like, 105? 72. But he's coaching <laughs> He's coaching the Raiders right now. He's their defensive line coach. That's right. That's right. But, uh, so... It's going to be interesting to see because right now uh, the Bears run a three-four defense. Are they going to switch to a four-three? If 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 they're going to run a base Tampa two, there's some major holes on the roster, right? Because one of the most important positions in a Tampa two is your slot corner, mm-hmm. and we know the Bears don't even have outside <laughs> cornerbacks right now. So you're going to have to to invest significantly in that position. I mean, one nice thing is that. In a four-three. Well, I mean, realistically, we knew that anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack have both had really successful seasons as outside defensive ends in a four-three scheme. So those are nice. But other than that, I mean, there's going to be some turnover on this roster. And the other thing that's going to be interesting is, like I said, Matt Eberflus. His whole thing is hustle and ed- and effort and tackling and rallying to the ball. I mean, there's a couple of guys on this defense that sh- should probably be on high alert. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how well uh, that's going to fit with Eddie Jackson or Eddie Goldman or wow. some of these guys where there have been effort questions in the past. So um, one of the things uh, I did want to mention, too, is, uh, man, the Internet uh, just exploded when after Eberflus uh, was announced and they started talking about the transition right to the Tampa 2. Yeah. And it was like guys, think about the coach we already had that ran the Tampa 2. Lovey point blank got sick of hearing people talk about the Tampa 2 about how it was a crappy defense. And yeah. he said, "We run 4-3. We run 3-4s. We 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 run cover 4, yeah. you know." We don't just stay in the Tampa 2 for the whole game. And to me, that is the modern NFL, right? You don't just run the same defense the entire game. In college, you can still do that to a certain at a certain level, yeah. right? But you also have, what, 113 teams or something yeah. like that? Right. So, you know, you better be Johnny on the spot when it comes to how you run your defense in the NFL because they're constantly changing the offense and you gotta you gotta be constantly evolving your defense to to stick with them because we already know how hard it is the the NFL has become a a a, a leaning post towards offense yeah. right I mean with sometimes when you watch the DBs you you gotta feel a bit sorry for them because of how tough their job is, right? They're not supposed to tug or pull or push or anything uh, on these guys, even when the ball is not in the air, you know? And it's like, are you kidding? These guys are elite pass catchers, you know? They've got size and they got speed. I'm supposed to keep up with this guy and watch the ball and I'm not supposed to slow him down at all? You know, so that is definitely a tough job, right? But like you were just saying, that is what you're primarily got to be looking at, right? Yeah. Is because if you don't have a pass rush, you're in 
deep doo-doo. That's just the way it is. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that, like like I said, right, I mean, with Quinn and Mac, assuming both those guys stay and are healthy, you're off to a good start there because both of those guys can play outside defensive end in 4-3, and they've done it before. Khalil Mack was an all-pro in that system in, in Oakland, so that doesn't concern me. The inside interior excuse me, of the defensive line concerns me a bit more. It's it's kind of a shame because Akeem Hicks would have been a perfect three technique perfect. in a Tampa two, right? I mean, that's a guy that plays defensive tackle and is big but can also get to the quarterback. Like yep. that's Tommy Harris, right? Like that's what you need. Unfortunately Hicks I think has probably passed that point in his career and he just hasn't shown an ability to stay healthy. I, what about what what's your take though on Goldman? I I mean I think that the old Goldman Yeah could be that. I mean does he want to play? That's the thing with yeah, Goldman. Right? I don't know. Like, Eddie Goldman seems more to me as kind of like that nose guard, right? Like, yeah, uh, uh, in a in a four three, you know, there's your two outside defensive ends, and then you've got your nose guard, and that typically lines up over or around the center, and then you've got the three technique, right? So that's Tommy Harris, right? Where that that guy lines up on the outside of the guard, so between the guard and the tackle. And he has a little bit more speed, whereas your yeah. nose is a little bit bulkier. Yeah, like you want the nose to kind of take up a double team inside, and yeah. you want the, the three technique. Just like Hicks. Yeah, you want the three technique to be able to get to the quarterback a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I've heard a lot of speculation that like Bilal Nichols could fill that role as that three technique. I mean... I like Bilal Nichols. I don't think that he's a game-changing defensive player. I think he's a nice piece. Yeah. Um, so I'd, 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 I'd be skeptical about that. Actually, and I don't know how well he's going to fit in there. But, I mean, I do like Bilal Nichols. I, I think that he has carved out a nice spot for him. It's just a matter of how much money he's going to want because he's UFA. Yeah. But, like, going back to your point, right, like, all defensive concepts are built on your core principles, right? So, like, the base defense could be a 4-3 Tampa 2. Right. But, like, how many times do you even have, like, all of your front seven on the field in the NFL anymore, right? <laughs> right. Like, you're, and most times you Almost have to... Almost never. Yeah, you have to take one of those guys out because you need a fifth defensive back yeah. because teams have three receivers lined up or they've got a tight end like Travis Kelsey that's more dynamic than tight ends were 15 years ago. A lot more. So... It's it's all going to be matchup based. It's all going to be about taking the talent that you have available and deploying it in the best way possible. And everything I've heard about Eberflus is that he's really good at that. Hopefully, he brings in a coaching staff that is is similar and and that they can maximize the talent of their defense. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Roquan Smith. It's like if if you are running a four three, is he your middle linebacker or? or I've heard a lot of speculation that he would move to kind of that weak side linebacker, kind of like Lance Briggs, yep. just because in a traditional 4-3 Tampa 2 defense, your weak side linebacker is kind of supposed to be your playmaker. Like yeah. we had it really good in Chicago with Erlacher because he was such an elite athlete, but yeah. that's not traditional, right? No. So if you think about like the traditional 4-3 Tampa 2, like it's what they're running in Indy where you have Darius Leonard as that weak side linebacker yeah, yeah. that just gets after the ball and makes a bunch of plays. So And that's, that's you know, uh, Smith and, and Leonard are, are very comparable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's going to be fun to watch it come together, especially if you're like me and you really enjoy the defensive side of the ball and seeing what pieces slot in where. I mean, the other thing I like about Eberflus is it sounds like similar to Lovey Smith. He really emphasizes turnovers. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about Lovey Smith's defenses, it was all about rally to the ball, 
try to get the ball on the ground, try to turn the ball over, and then when you do turn the ball over, it was try to score. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> go back and watch. Good plan. Yeah, like, go back and watch some of those uh, Lovey Smith defenses and look at how the defense reacts when somebody gets the ball in their hands. Like, all those guys loved going and just trying to knock the head off of somebody that was trying to tackle yeah. them on the offensive side of the ball. Like, you would think that would be just the philosophy on defense in the NFL, but, I mean, think about how many turnovers the Bears had the last couple years. So Not many. Just to plug in there, though, one thing you also have to remember is Lovey had some pretty damn good pieces <laughs> yes. on the defense, well, that, right? Jerry yes. Angelo actually brought in some pretty good players on that side of the ball. Uh, you know, it, he, now he didn't um, draft uh, Urlacher, but... Um, but uh, you know they made the they made the most out of Erlocker, especially when they brought in Briggs, because you could certainly see a parallel between Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Brian Erlocker and Lance Briggs. Yeah. They they had that kind of relationship on the field. They really played off of each other and made each other better constantly. And then um, you know it, it, it at the de- at the defensive back position. You had Mike Brown, you had Charles Tillman, uh, you know, those are really good players, yeah. right? Uh, so, there, there, he certainly did some filling of the pantry there. Yeah, and that's one thing I've, I've kind of seen go around is like, well, who's going to be Brian Urlacher in this defense? And the answer is nobody. <laughs> there, there, there was never anybody that played that position like Brian Urlacher did before him, and we haven't seen anybody do it since. That's why he's in the Hall of Yeah, day. he was such an elite athlete that we have never seen another player replicate what he was able to do in that middle linebacker spot, right? Maybe we'll see it again. Ray Lewis. But they played it differently, right? (laughs) Yeah, and they still played it differently. Yeah, like Ray Lewis was just run up to the line and just rip your head off, right? Like that's not what Brian Urlacher was doing. Urlacher was basically playing some sort of a hybrid between safety and linebacker. Yes. And there's just not... There, you like you have His to be size and speed were unprecedented. Yeah, like you, you, we just you just don't see athletes like that. And so, like, remember remember that one year when Erlacher missed most of the season and Hunter Hillenmeyer was trying to play middle linebacker. Right. Like, go back and look at some of those games. I mean, <laughs> the the bear the Bears were giving up forty points a game just right. because teams knew that they could just cut right through the middle. of And Hillenmeyer was actually a pretty smart player. Yeah, he was I, good. I mean, it's just his physical his physical attributes were just not comparable. Yeah, like Brian Erlacher was a. A, freak. Gen- a generational talent. Yeah. Like, you just, you, you can't replicate that. The Bears aren't going to replicate it. Like, Roquan Smith's a great player. He can't do what Brian Urlacher did. He's just right. not that level of athlete, I don't think. But your point is really valid, right? Like, no matter what defense you run, it's going to look great if you have great players, and it's going to look terrible if you have terrible players, <laughs> right? Like, so it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be interesting to watch how they, how they build out that side of the ball and, what what investments they make there it should be fun to watch well okay so uh, since we are talking about uh what we're looking at going forward as far as uh positional um uh, i know we're going to talk about this more but one thing i did want to uh, point out and i just cheesed so big when i found this out was when we hired polls you know he had uh, of course, the buzz that we had him as an undrafted free agent yeah. for the line. Bringing in a GM 
who appreciates the offensive line, it's like my prayers have been answered. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, I think that Bears fans are really gonna like Matt Eberflus, especially like the 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 old school Bears fan that's out there, <laughs> you know, chugging beers at McCormick Place before the game, right? Like this guy's football-y for sure. I mean, yeah. he, he you got the GM that was the offensive lineman, you've got the head coach that was like a linebacker in the Mac, right? <laughs> so like you're gonna get a lot of the football buzzwords, right? And I think Absolutely. people are gonna like that. And I, I think the Bears are gonna play really hard. I think they're gonna be a tough team. I think you're gonna see more of an emphasis on turnovers. And, you know, like like we just talked about a little bit earlier with Eddie Jackson, right? Like, it'll be interesting to see if he plays on this team because, you know, he, I don't, I, I, you know, it's probably a little unfair to say that his issues are related to effort, but he's a terrible tackler. He was a terrible <laughs> tackler at Alabama. He's been a terrible tackler in the NFL. He's just not good at it. Yeah, it's not his, it's not what he's supposed to do. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if, if Eberflus is saying, all right, well, we can work with him or if he's going to try to trade him, right? I mean, I don't know what the market would look like, but... With guys like Eddie Jackson, where the previous regime invested a lot of money into them, these guys don't have to care. Like, right. It's not our problem that Ryan Pace gave out a bad contract. Right. It, and that's, actually, that's um, that's what Ryan Pace did, right? He immediately got rid of everybody. Yeah, exactly. I mean, go back and look at year one with John Fox. I mean, you got rid of Martellus Bennett, Matt Forte, Robbie Gold. Brandon you know, Marshall. Marshall, right. Like, got rid of all these guys. You come in and you don't really have to worry about the mistakes that were made before you. So it's going to be. It's and then be when he brought in Nagy, he got rid of everybody else. Yeah. The only person that survived was good old um, Sherrick McManus. Hey, Sherrick, don't, don't be smart, <laughs> Sherrick McManus. Like, not, not at all, but uh, I mean, really, he was the only guy that survived for any length of time. Yeah, I wish he had covered. Uh, his guy in that Eagles playoff game, but <laughs> he was put in a bad spot. He, he was a great special teams player. He, he was. never never should have been in coverage. But when we talk about ro- roster construction, got a question from one of our regular listeners that I figured we could address on, on the podcast, and it's kind of going along the lines of what we've been discussing. And I'll, I'll summarize the question here. It's basically, you know, knowing that the Bears have limited draft picks, you know, other than changes on the sidelines and in the front office, what needs to happen financially and otherwise to make the Bears successful over the next few years? And kind of like, what can we expect? So, I, so I can... it's like a multi-part question. So let's look at the first piece, right? And the first piece to me is what does it look like as far as the roster is concerned right now? Where are where do you think our biggest pain points are? Well. On the roster right now, yeah, skill position on offense, wide receiver, tight end, um, and then I would agree with that, and then defensive back, yeah, are, defensive are the back. two glaring ones. Well, so uh, defensive back and what you just mentioned, uh, the the inside core of uh, the defensive line, yeah, uh, you know, Hicks is gone, Goldman, we don't know what the deal is with him, Bilal Nichols, UFA, right, mm-hmm. so. That doesn't leave a whole lot there, right? Yeah. Um, and everybody else, I think, that we had that was kind of filling in there were all, well, filling. <laughs> yeah. Well, so on this question, right, I mean, when we're talking about the next two to three years. Right. To, to put it simply, it all depends on Justin Fields. Oh, yeah. That's a huge piece. If, if Justin Fields sucks then the next two to three years are going to suck, right? Like, maybe you can put together a good defense and get into the playoffs, but 
you're not going to be competing for a Super Bowl if Justin Fields doesn't develop, right? So Correct. So so let's start there. If he's bad, the next three years are going to be bad, and probably in three years we're going to be looking for another coach. Yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be... Um, it's going to dig us even deeper into the hole that Pace put us in. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's Pace's regime hurt this team badly. We like to complain about Pace, and sometimes we do it tongue-in-cheek, but the simple fact is that actually he really, truly hurt the team with uh, with the choices that he made, simply, and the most important ones were at quarterback. Well, His string of quarterbacks was horrible, yeah. right? So this is we've got we're kind of all in on the poker table right now. Well, yeah. So to, so if we go to the other scenario, right? If Justin Fields is good, the reason that missing on a quarterback hurts you so badly and sets you back so far is that financially the best way and the best time to build a championship roster is when you have a quarterback on his rookie contract yes because the nfl has a salary cap right and the way that contracts are structured is that during your first four years which is your rookie contract is when you're making the least amount of money yep so look around the league when quarterbacks get a contract extension good quarterbacks are making 30 40 million dollars a year and that basically means that you have $40 million less to build out the rest of your roster, right? So when Justin Fields is making a million dollars this year, that gives you a lot of other resources to spend elsewhere. So if you And they have most of his money deferred anyway. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, he certainly is salary cap friendly. Yeah, so (laughs) right now is when the Bears will have the most resources financially to invest in other places to go out and sign wide receivers to sign defensive players and to hopefully build out that supporting well and so this is a perfect example of what just happened right because pace bet on trubisky Mm -hmm. first he bet on him by choosing him then he bet on him further by trading up yeah then he bet on him even further when he decided to go get khalil mack yeah so yeah, uh, it was it was a bad loss, and this that's the exact place that we are again. Yeah. Because again, he went and uh, used resources to get uh, Justin Fields, used resources to trade up to get Justin Fields, signed Justin Fields. Justin Fields is the focus. Justin Fields is the man. We have to hope that yeah, he hit on this time. And I think we've seen some of that already. But if he did, yes, it makes a, it's a huge reversal of fortune. Yeah, so with that said, right, the next three years are what's left of Fields on his rookie deal, right? right. So like at the end of that point, either you're going to extend him or you're going to cut ties with him. So if you think about the Trubisky story, right, like like you said, you drafted him and then you made all of these investments in the other parts of the roster. You traded for Khalil Mack, you signed Kyle Fuller, you signed Allen Robinson, you 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 invested money elsewhere because you didn't have to pay your quarterback that much. The hope is that when Trubisky, in this example, develops and becomes an elite quarterback, then you can start making sacrifices elsewhere because you have to devote more money yes. to, to, to Trubisky. But... The hope is that he's good enough then that it's what you see in other places. It's you're consistently scoring 30, 40 points a game. 
and therefore you don't need to have as good of a defense or as good of a you know offensive line because the quarterback makes up for it. Right. But that's kind of the hope, right? So obviously that didn't happen with Trubisky, but we're back in that scenario with Justin Fields where he's not making very much money. You can afford to invest other places. The problem is that Ryan Pace made some pretty bad investments in other places. So part of that money is already going to pay for guys like Nick Foles and Jimmy Graham that aren't really helping you. Yeah. But I, I think there is still some salary cap space that you can navigate. So I guess what I would hope going into next year is that, you know, without having many draft picks, you make some smart signings at receiver. You make some smart signings on the defense. You use the few draft picks that you do have well, and you get guys that are able to come in and contribute right away. Yeah. And that's the path to being a decent team next year and then hopefully in year three of Justin Fields some of those dead contracts are gone and yeah. then you can you know keep building out the roster that way yeah and um you know uh you can look around the league uh the 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 glory story to me about this is the New England Patriots right because uh New England drafted uh you know Tom Brady in the sixth round uh they already had their guy they thought Drew Bledsoe was the guy, right? And they so they just drafted uh, Brady because they saw value for him in that in that late in the draft. Well, it just turned out, you know, we know how it unfolds. But the thing was is that they really had a golden ticket that day because they got a starting quarterback that wasn't even being paid as a first rounder. So suddenly they were flush. Also, of course, the fact that Bill Belichick is a really excellent uh, read on talent. Um, so they were able to continually have this really excellent version of next man up, mm -hmm. right? Now, every team wants that. Uh, the reason I'm talking about them, though, is they never really had to worry about it, right? With, with Tom Brady having the longevity he did. Um, and playing at the level he did all that time, and he the uh, when um, when it comes further for them now they're back with regular teams, they're getting to enjoy a rookie a good rookie campaign from their rookie quarterback. But if he continues, they're going to have to pay him sooner rather than later. Unlike how it went with Brady, now. We hope to be in that position, right? We hope that number one is the guy that we're going to have to pay a big contract to. So, but we're going to have to, we're, you know, this year is going to be huge in, in the development of his career. Yeah, you've already wasted year one, right? Like, yeah, it, it was a disaster. Yeah, I mean, you kept Matt Nagy a year too long, and I would be pretty surprised if Justin Fields learned anything valuable last year other than just getting acclimated to the speed of the game. Yeah. So you've already lost one year of the most valuable, you know, asset that you can have, which is a good quarterback on a rookie contract. So we'll see. I mean, it's all going to depend on who Eberflus brings in as his assistant coaches, who the Bears are able to sign or draft that can surround Justin Fields with talent. I mean, my hope is that they invest heavily in the offensive side of the ball. Even if that means the team is worse because the defense is horrible next year, I, I want to see them yeah. give Justin Fields the best possible environment to be successful in, right? Yeah, so uh, I do want to plug in something here, too. Um, that's one of the things that I was talking about with Ryan Poles about I'm so happy that 
this guy is a former offensive lineman because finally I think we've got about the best person in in that chair to finally address something that hasn't been right since at least 2006. 2006, we didn't have the greatest line in the NFL, but we had a pretty good one and it started all 16 games. All five guys started all 16 games, went to Super Bowl, right? Yeah. The 80s teams, their offensive line literally was legendary. It was one of the best in the history of the NFL. It, out of all the talk that gets talked about, the 80s teams, that to me is the part that gets talked about the least. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are you kidding? Those guys were amazing. So, um, this, you know, that's uh, to me, that's what you're exactly reflecting on, right? We got, you and I have talked about this over and over and over again. The focus has to be number one. Yeah. I think that Poles gets that. Um, I don't think he would have taken this job without looking at that and saying, yeah, this is what I got to do. And he's got to, first, he's got to deal with the offensive line. Uh, he's got to deal with uh, tight end. He's got to deal with the wideouts, right? Uh, really, the only positions that he's pretty solid at, well, he's got number one and he's got his running backs. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, it's it's a free-for-all. And I think, I think you're completely uh, on point. He has to make that the primary focus. I, I would hope so. I mean, it it's the only thing that matters, right, is is making sure, is, is developing Justin Fields to the best of your ability. Right? To the like, best of your ability. Because like I said, if he if he sucks, then the next two, three years are going to suck. I mean, it's just yep. that simple, right? Like, it, it's, it, it's not possible in this day and age to be a sustainably good team with bad quarterback. It play. just doesn't happen. Like... Your ceiling in that scenario is like the Tennessee Titans, right? Who had a really good season this year, lost in the first round of the playoffs. The Tennessee Titans are not going to win a Super Bowl as currently constructed. Maybe that's a hot take, but Ryan Tannehill is, is not going to take a team to a Super Bowl. He certainly, you know, he. And, it's funny because he, he didn't look, he, he, he had this, you know, big revitalization in, in Tennessee, but he certainly doesn't look like it. No, and, you know, so... It 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 is got to be the number one priority. I mean, and if Poles doesn't understand that, my question to him would be, well, what have you been doing for the last ten years in Kansas City? Because that's the perfect example exactly. of how it played out, right? Like the Chiefs had a pretty good team for a while, but their quarterback play wasn't great, and you know, then they replaced Alex Smith with Pat Mahomes, and look at what's and happened. He had a hand in that, and and they've had, uh, you know, they've made really really good draft picks elsewhere. I mean, we talked about it, I think, last week. You know, the, the Chiefs are starting two rookie offensive linemen right now, and one of them was a sixth-round pick last year. So hopefully that is The metrics a, on both of them through the roof yeah, for exactly. rookie players. So hopefully that means that Poles has a good eye for offensive line talent because that area of the team was just not... not necess- Like, Ryan Pace just didn't invest in it, right? Like, he rarely drafted offensive linemen... When he did, sometimes it was later in the draft, and I think that's one of the reasons that eventually, you know, he he, he got fired for, right? So, we'll see. I mean, I, I think offensive line right now is not even my biggest concern on the roster. I mean, it's skill positions. I yeah. Mean, if, if Darnell Mooney is your number one receiver, that means your offense is probably not going to be very productive. Yeah. Um, the uh, You know, of course, the flip side to that is if you don't have a great offensive line, he doesn't get any time to throw the throw the ball yeah and we certainly saw that in 2021 Mm -hmm. right um 
he was running for his life constantly. So we have to, um, I, I don't know how they you know, make the determination on what they focus on first. All I know is that I'm certainly happy that we have a guy who was in that position before um, as a player, and he he realizes how important it is to have those guys up front. We don't even know what pieces he's going to keep of the offensive line from last year. Nope. Uh, and, yeah, as far as filling guys, that was practically the whole offense yeah. was, was filling guys, right? I mean, really the only guy that you have going forward uh, is, well, most likely, uh, I mean, he'll keep Darnell Mooney because uh, uh, he's certainly uh, proved his worth. Um, he'll maybe, I'm, I'm sure he'll probably keep Komet just because... He, he did okay, yeah. right? Um, but then you look at the offensive line, and, uh, you know, I guess he'll keep Cody Whitehair. Um, Mustafa, probably. You know, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as the... We don't know the... I don't know, at least, the metrics on all those offensive linemen, and that part is a huge piece of it, right? I mean, their best offensive lineman was Jason Peters. <laughs> who's older than Ryan Poles. <laughs> You know, um, also James Daniels is UFA. Yep. You know, so do we do we keep him? Does he look at Daniels and go, "Yep, I I think that he's one of our young pieces," um, or does he let him go? So a uh, lot of question marks on that side. And as far as as far as uh, I think that question, you know, talked a little bit about the money part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they're going they are rebounding. Uh, fairly nicely from last year to this year as far as the cap goes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be, uh, I've seen them ranked at any, anywhere from top 10 uh, in salary cap availability for the next year. Now, the, the deceiving part of that is while they are ranked in the top 10 in cap availability, they also are t- t- easily top ten and probably in players available. Yeah, because they got holes everywhere. Yeah, right? and that's the thing, right? Like, you only have so many dollars that you're allowed to spend, <laughs> right? And like, when you've got a roster that's this bad, yeah. I mean, it's it's not as it's not as bad of a roster as I've seen the Bears have in the last ten years or so, but it's down there. I, mean, I, I would say it's still a block of Swiss cheese. Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot that. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the four teams that are playing this weekend, how many players on the current roster would start on any of those teams, right? Like, <laughs> Very few. Ro- Roquan Smith, Jalen Johnson, that's that's it. <laughs> I mean, seri- like, seriously, like, we're laughing about it. At, at this point, yeah. But you have two guys that I think would be meaningful players on any of these teams, and I'm stretching there with Jalen Johnson. He's yeah. a nice player, but... You know, in terms of being an elite corner, I think there's still some some room to to go there. So Smith would Smith would, yeah. But I mean, you know, anyway, anyway, the the point is very few. Yeah, not many, right? So there's a lot of work to be done here, right? You know, and hopefully Matt Eberflus is a good enough. If he is as good of a coach as everybody says, hopefully that means you can maybe reclaim some value from some of the guys that are currently on the roster. And, yeah, you know, his evalu- waiting to see what his evaluation will be fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I have an idea of what it will be. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, things can turn around fast in the NFL. I mean, the other thing that's, you know, going to be helpful for the Bears over the next couple of years is just the division is in a bit of a state of uncertainty, right? Like yeah. Green Bay, if Rodgers does not go back there, 
that team's going to fall off considerably. Minnesota, they're potentially going to go into a rebuild. I mean, their general manager's got to make a decision. Do I want to give Kirk Cousins another $150 million, or do I trade him and try to rebuild the roster? Yeah, his number's $45 million. Yeah, yeah. There's no way that they can do that. That's too much. <laughs> they, it, it, you, you can't give you know a quarter of your... Uh, of the salary cap to one guy, you, you, they they just can't do unless that. it's Pat and, and they're already in cap trouble anyway. Yeah. And plus, like just having a new general manager, like do you want that to be your first move? Like ask Phil Emery about having to give Jay Cutler a hundred million dollars right <laughs> away, right? Like, is that really where you want to where you want to hang your hat? I mean, maybe, but if you're de- if you're devoting that much money to a quarterback it's got to be better than Kirk Cousins right yeah so uh the um one of the things that um i think was mentioned was uh also draft picks right mm-hmm. so we only have 5 which somehow Ryan Pace always only had 5 um hopefully this gm is a whole lot better at dealing with that i hope so um, cuz it sure seemed like fleeced and pace we're in the same sentence frequently, right? <laughs> yeah. And so ho- hopefully we're past that. And uh, But it is what it is right now is that we have five picks. And we don't have a first-round pick. So the, one of the top things is, is going to be Poles has to figure out how to make more picks there as far as I'm concerned. Um, he's going to have to generate more picks because mm-hmm. uh, they need... Uh, they need more quantity than quality, in my opinion, right now. And that's where it gets interesting, right? Like, do you try to trade Khalil Mack or Robert Quinn or, you know, I don't think, or Eddie Jackson or Goldman? Like, and I don't think you'd really do get... Do any of those guys have value? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think at most you'd get maybe a, maybe you could get like a fourth round pick for Quinn or Mack, maybe. It's probably closer to a fifth or a sixth just because of their contracts and, you know, it's such a large cap hit. But, like, you, you got to find a way to start building out this roster, right? And, like, you know, with the breaking news of Tom Brady retiring, if Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver, right? Like, the, the NFC should be fairly wide open. So maybe that's their evaluation as they come in and say, you know, we were a little bit below 500 last year if we fill in this roster a little bit more intelligently than Ryan Pace did and maybe get a little lucky. Maybe we can win 10, 11 games and the next year be in the playoffs. I mean, that could conceivably happen, right? Like if if Justin Fields does take a step forward and if you get some injury luck and if you get a couple of smart free agent signings in here, this team could be a playoff team next year. It would probably take some luck. But if the quarterback is really good, that almost gets you into the playoffs by itself in the NFL, right? So we're going to see what happens there. Um, but long term, like you said, right, I, I hope that Ryan Poles values his draft picks more than Ryan Pace did because I think you know, so. If, if, if you're tr- you, you, like, you can make an argument that the only time you should ever trade a draft pick is if you're going to trade up to take a quarterback. Otherwise, it's probably not worth it. It's probably better to have more bites at the apple than it is to trade draft picks for someone like Leonard really Floyd or out. Kevin White. No. Yeah. And that's the other problem with Ryan Pace is all the guys he traded up for ended up being bad. Yeah. So. I mean, it didn't really work out um, in in any sense. Uh, we are where they we are where we are as far as the draft pick amount of draft pick goes. Um, they're going to have to be uh, astute uh, and accurate 
when it comes to free agency and those draft picks this year uh, because we don't have a lot to work with. Uh, this year, I think they they got to stick to what you and I have been hammering home, and that is give number one as much help as you can. I don't see this next season as a winning season. I see it as more of a 500 season. Um, and I do think that uh, it, but I think it can be a very positive season. I did too. Sorry, I'm laughing. I just saw some some breaking news here. Guess who the Vikings are interviewing for their head coach? Who? Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> if Harbaugh comes to the Vikings? That's it's said that rumor has been out there since uh, the off season started. That uh, Harbaugh wants a hundred million dollars. Well, if if this if this is actually true, and it's Mike Florio that tweeted it out, who yeah. is pretty pretty good reporter. Like, if that's true, if Harbaugh is actually interviewing for a job, once that's public, like he's got to leave Michigan. Yeah, it's going to be really tough for him to go back now. Now that he's interviewed for a job, he's never going to get another recruit there, right? Like any any. Anybody that's getting recruited to Michigan is also getting recruited to a hundred other places, mm-hmm. and every other coach is going to say, "Why would you go play for Michigan if your coach isn't committed there?" So, if this is actually true and he is interviewing for a job, he's going to the NFL, whether or not it's the Raiders or the Vikings or somewhere else. Like, once you start that process, that's a natural progression. Yeah. I can I can see that. Like. It, it, in that scenario, right? Like that's what I said about the Bears. I was like, it, the Bears aren't going to interview Jim Harbaugh if. If they're going to hire Jim Harbaugh... Unless they're, like, super serious. Well, yeah, but it, even if that's the case, like, that was going to get worked out via, like, some backroom discussions between Harbaugh's agent right. and the Bears, right? Like, you weren't going to fly Jim Harbaugh into O'Hare for an interview because once you do that, he's got to leave Michigan. The second he interviews for a job, he's got to leave. So if that report is true, he it sounds to me like he's going to the NFL. Whether or not and may, Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe, um... His uh, the information that has come to him is that he he's just ready to leave. Maybe um, I, I I heard the hundred million dollar deal uh, from multiple sources. You know I don't I don't see a, a team doing that. Uh, but then again, teams have done stranger things I mean, than that. The, so. Ra- the Raiders gave John Gruden a hundred million dollars. Yeah, and then he lasted what two years, right? He was uh, there a while, but never, I think, four years maybe, but... Was he there four? I think so, because he beat Nagy in 2019, right, in London? Yeah. And he just got fired this yeah. year. So, um, you know... It, regardless, it, not very much when you consider what they gave him. No, and, I mean, his his departure was... And, and, and uh, this this season, what was he out there for? Three Three games? Yeah, and, I mean... Now, now he's suing the NFL. So yeah, yeah that that's a whole separate discussion. But but any uh, anyway, um, I think uh, you know for this season, uh, like I said, I think that they're going to have to trade down uh, to to accumulate more picks. Uh, I think they're going to have to work with whatever is on the roster. I don't see Quinn or Mac going anywhere. I don't know. Um, I think that their numbers are just too high. Uh, they're, and so you'd lose so much uh, trading them that it's not really worth trading them, right? Uh, so 
you know, you, you keep you keep those guys, which is it seems which seems like a good proposition uh, on paper at least. <laughs> um, but uh, and yeah, you're gonna have to work with some of the other guys that are just currently there. I mean, revamping the roster is gonna take a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the the key is definitely Fields. It, you he has got to hit. If he hits, though, it will be so huge for Chicago football. Uh, if he is the kid that we think he is, um, it, it we could see a championship in the very near future. Uh, and when I say near future, I mean, you know, maybe uh, three seasons, right? Yeah. Uh, but um, we... They, they they need to focus on the offense. I mean, if he if he is awesome, and if Eberflus brings in the right staff to work with him, then the Bears should be competing for a playoff spot next year, and then in 2023 they should be contending for a Super Bowl. Yeah, like if he's actually if he lives up to the reputation that he had when he was drafted, right? If he's less than that, then it starts to you know then your ceiling starts to get lower. And if he's bad, then like I said, you're going to be looking for a new coach in four years anyway, probably. So it all depends on him is, is the short answer. And as unfortunate as that may be, that's just the NFL. It depends on the, that is. And, um, you know, uh, that's what that kid has been preparing his whole life for actually, uh, is for this. So we all, I'm pretty sure if you took a poll of bears fans, everybody would say, 2021 as far as Justin Fields was a shit show not necessarily on the kid but just there wasn't any support for him and Nagy did a terrible job right yeah so we got to give him a mulligan for this year I mean yeah I don't know how you can evaluate him and if 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 that is making an excuse then it is what it is yeah like when your coaching is that bad when the process is as, as dysfunctional as it was just when you think about everything with Andy Dalton. It was horrible. And when you have no offensive line and no wide receivers, how, how is a rookie supposed to be successful in that environment? Right? It, so if we're going to, if we're going to write Justin Fields off already, then you've also got to write off Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson because they were in similar bad situations, right? Like the difference is like they're with the Jets and the Jaguars who are perpetually incompetent. <laughs> I mean, as are the Bears too, but the Bears have at least had like spasms of of competency <laughs> in, in in my life. Like so, I don't know. We're gonna see. I mean, I, I I am not going to sell any stock in Justin Fields based on last year. There was just too much working against him. That if he had been successful, I would argue that we be looking at like a generational talent like he would have had to have been so good to overcome what he was working with last year that I just don't think it was realistic and well big part of it was he didn't even really get the opportunity to to even shine at that level uh, because everything else was just such a shit show not to mention that he didn't even you know he didn't even play yeah I mean his first start was that Cleveland game right (laughs) so I mean you know uh it went wrong just about every way it could so um I think that's about it for today yeah I'm Uh, I'm excited to hear from these two guys on Monday yeah Um, We'll see. I mean, a press conference is words, right? So whether they sound great or they sound terrible, it's not necessarily meaningful. But 
I'm hoping that we learn some stuff, and I'm hoping that these these two are better at presenting what they're trying to do than the previous regime was. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, we're looking forward to hearing uh, who the new uh, offensive uh, leader is going to be, and who the new defensive leader is going to be for that matter. Absolutely. Right? Um, who's Quinn going to put in uh, in that spot? So, and I, and I think we should know that fairly. Soon. Quinn uh, Eberflus yeah. is going to put in that spot, but. And I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, I think that's coming very soon. So, um, but uh, that's it for this week. Uh, I'm Thomas. I'm Jim. And uh, thanks for joining uh, Bear Scat.